Hey, what's going on? Welcome back to the Raptors Reasonless Podcast. It's been a, a couple months. It wasn't initially intended to be that long between podcasts when the offseason first hit us. Uh, we haven't talked to you since July, and that's a little bit our fault. That's a little bit life's fault. That's a little bit the fault of things in around Toronto basketball quieting down a little bit in the summer months. Uh, you know, I don't think anyone really wanted to hear deep dives on uh, Brazil's performance at the America Cup with, with Bruno Caboclo for a game and a half or Lithuania's with Jonas Valanciunas for the 11th summer in a row. Uh, and then my usual co-host had not only a, a big, long vacation to take, which I want to hear all about, but he, he also comes back to us with a new title, the Toronto Raptors Vice President of Hindsight, Eric Kareen. Welcome yeah. back, buddy. Hit me. I'm here. Thank you. How was are that, you? Was that your attempt at the an audio version of the Steve Buscemi, Hello Fellow Kids? <laughs> I don't know what that is. Oh, no. Uh, 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 was that something that's come about in the last month or so? Because no. I've missed... Okay, no, it's been it just, around. It's it basically when an old person tries to sound young. You coming in uh, with the in yeah. me to start the season to start season yeah. two of the Raptors Reasonless Podcast. I am an old person. This is true. How was how was your trip? Well, I went to the home of the Eurobasket champions, Slovenia. Um, I saw a lot of old cities in Croatia. I saw a lot of rocky beaches, which are uh, more pleasant than they sound. Um, got into Bert. Bosnia and Herzegovina to see some Cyrillic alphabet in action, which I'd never seen, you know, used in a practical sense. I'd obviously seen it, how it was written in books and such. Uh, so no complaints. It was good. That sounds great. You came back well rested and ready for your, your second season, the Athletic Toronto's second season covering the Toronto Raptors? Uh, yes. I what? believe, I mean, I, I don't, I, I don't know if, I don't want to ever say I'm well-rested, even though I almost always am. I want that built-in excuse. Yes, that's true. You, you know, I you have, gotta shake I some have, You got to give yourself some the preseason for your own content to, to get back into form and for this podcast to get back into form. I had to navigate nine hours of time zone change in like two days, so I'm basically a hero. That's tough. Um, by the way, if you're looking forward to the second season of Toronto Raptors coverage at the Athletic Toronto and you're only a podcast listener and you have not subscribed yet, um, I have the athletic.com slash Raptors open right now, and I didn't know this, or I would have tweeted out earlier, um, 30% off right now, uh, a subscription. So, I mean, the deals pop up from time to time, but if you're not following along for Eric's content, um, you could follow along for mine. I'll be doing maybe two pieces a week. Uh, Sirat Sohi is on board for, for, I think, one a week, and she's moving to Toronto soon, which is very, very exciting. We'll have her around... Uh, the team as well. It's going to be a fun year, Eric. And we work with Peter Gammons now. Apparently. Yeah. Apparently. Ken Rosenthal on the baseball side, breaking general managers, getting ousted for violating international signing rules. Oh, boy. That's very... What a time to be alive. The NBA certainly would have no no agents or anything like that who have a hand in any sort of FBI-investigated dealings right now at all and four four toronto raptors would not uh have that same agency represent them either definitely not no the nba is very above board like that as is the ncaa the main feeding system into uh the nba 
they believe in law as it is written, as well as the spirit of the law, and they would never dream of going afoul of it. Yes. All right. We should pivot from that into actual <laughs> Toronto Raptors talk. Um, I, where to begin? There's so much. We I don't really want to do an off-season review. I think everyone has had plenty of time to digest the off-season stuff. We covered it extensively. It's time to be forward-looking. Um, or I guess we could backwards look about a week. You were in Victoria yes. for training camp, which I am still still haven't got over the jealousy of having lived on the West Coast before and knowing how beautiful Victoria is. Um, man, you have a good time out there. It, it, this whole podcast just to be talk about all the trips you've taken. Yeah, well, we got before the last day, we got like three 20 and sunny days. And it was about a five minute walk from a, a bay where I can, uh, you know, sit down on, on a bench and watch some dogs running in the water. So, you know, I could find areas to complain about, but I don't think that would be prudent to developing my trademark likability. Um, so while you were out there, three days of practice, four days of practice, as well as an intra-squad game, um, obviously you were posting things throughout the, the course of the week at The Athletic. Um, you brought back your 10 observations coming out of the intra-squad game. Before we talk about the preseason opener in Hawaii, where you are not, sadly, um, what yeah. were what was the vibe you came away with from training camp? Was there anything that, that stood out to you? Anything you found yourself getting particularly excited or worried about? Um, anything at all from, from your week in Victoria? Well, I mean, the obvious thing, and I think that it, uh, and something I think is going to be the, the one thing to monitor all season long is all the talk about the offense and the three pointers and the passing and how they're trying to change a system that, uh, that has worked pretty well the last four regular seasons, to say the least. Um, and it's, you know, funny to listen to, uh, when given the head coach of this team built his brand and his name, on defense and i'm sure when you know the raptors are sixth in offense and 23rd in defense he'll get back to that but certainly everybody seems to be talking about the offense and based on the number of three-pointers they got up in a 40-minute running time uh scrimmage and the number of three-pointers that they took on sunday night in honolulu they're they're trying to put a lot of that to work. I, I didn't I didn't necessarily think based on those two games or quasi games that the the way they were, you know, getting into the offense was all that different, but they're certainly uh shooting with a bit more abandon and and uh the motion is especially in transition. Like last night they were taking threes in transition at a at a way higher rate than I remember. Also, their um, shot clock time off of an offensive rebound. I don't know if they've got word that, like, the NBA is changing the rule on the, the amount of shot clock time that's going to be on the clock after an offensive rebound. But I, it felt like they got a shot up within, like, two seconds of every offensive rebound against the Clippers on Monday. Uh, there, was one, there was one stretch where Bebe was basically just doing a rebounding drill and kicking shots back out the three-point shooters for them to miss. Yes. I think Bruno missed one. Somebody yeah, else Bruno missed one. Bruno and DeLon missed in there. Maybe Norm, too. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, that is intellectually, you know, it makes sense because that is where a lot of good looks come. And yeah. if this team is going to be a good offensive rebounding team, and that will depend, I think, on 
who ends up cracking the rotation. But, you know, g- given Jonas Valanciunas and and Lucas Nagura and y- Jakob Pertl, assuming two of those three have big roles on the team, they should be a fairly decent offensive rebounding team. It would be wise to uh, get used to being quick on the trigger off of those looks because offensive rebounds lead to open three-pointers. Yeah, if, you, if anyone's not it, aware, works. Your, your points per possession following certain actions um, off of offensive rebound are generally fairly high, which is why... You know, I, re- I remember at one point last year, early on, when the Raptors were pushing Golden State for the number one offense in the league, and it was like, yeah, it's not sexy, and they're not shooting a ton of threes. Uh, but the two things the Raptors have done well, other than getting... Actually, three things the Raptors have always done well, regardless of how many mid-range shots they take or how well they shoot the three, is they've generally been a plus offensive rebounding team. They are generally a very low turnover team, and they get to the free-throw line a ton. Um, the turnover thing was not on display Monday because it was the first preseason game and 15 different guys played. Uh, but they also got to the line 40 times. So, yeah. Daryl Morey, eat your heart out, buddy. Yeah, uh, I mean, one preseason game, we'll no, see. No, but no. it's nice. It's, it's, it's good. It's good for the next 87. Yeah. Uh, or but, what am I saying? 102. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, but it was nice to see them not sacrificing, you know, aggressiveness, uh, for the three-point shot, they were they were able to work both in uh, fairly seamlessly, and that makes a lot of sense. Especially if you can add, you know, if you, if you get to a point where teams are aware that you're going to shoot freely from the perimeter, and guys are a little more cognizant of having to close out, um, maybe they stay at home a little more, or maybe those closeouts get a little wilder because you know you can't. We've been through this with the Raptors in the past and their own defensive focus, particularly in playoff series. You know, it's very hard to guard both the three-point line and the rim uh, and do a good job of both. So Without fouling. Without fouling. Without fouling a ton. And, and yeah, I don't consider if a team gets, you know, the Raptors may not have shot, may not have scored a lot at the rim last night, but they took 43 throw attempts. So I would say the Clippers did not defend the rim particularly well. Um, Also, DeMar DeRozan is probably only going to shoot at the rim now and make every shot. Yeah, except for when he takes three-pointers. Yes, yeah, he was over two on threes, and then he hit every other yeah. shot that he took in the preseason game. Um, yeah, so a, a couple guys with quick triggers there. Bruno took seven threes in 20 minutes. Uh, Abaka, he sure did. Abaka took nine in 19 minutes. CJ Miles took seven in 18 minutes. Um, I don't think you're going to see maybe that those quick triggers in games, and I think fans, uh, you know, Dwayne Casey's mentioned 33-point attempts per game. I think they averaged something like 24 last year, um, and obviously they had a lot of outbound three-point shooting. One thing, and I'm wondering if you might be able to speak to this, having been around a little bit and got and talked to Dwayne Casey a little more. Um, maybe it's a byproduct of an intra-squad game and a preseason game. It certainly seems like the edict is to play a little bit faster for the Raptors right now, and I, I think that makes a lot of sense in the second unit if it skews young. Uh, but that's a way, you know, it, it's still there are an equal number of possessions between the two teams during a game. But if the Raptors talk up, you know, 33-point attempts a game, not being a bottom five team in pace. Uh, might help that flow and help how they create those shots earlier in clocks. For sure. And there wasn't a lot of talk about pace in and of itself. But, you know, Dwayne Casey did speak a lot about how he wanted to see the three-pointers in transition going up. And to be in transition, you need to run, uh, obviously. So um, I, I think... That's something you'll see, and it only makes sense if, you know, Norm Powell and DeLon Wright and Pascal Siakam 
are part of your bench unit because those guys thrive when they're on the move. Uh, Pascal Siakam is obscenely fast for yes. a big man. Yes, he's uh, he's the new Amir Johnson. Yeah, I thought he looked pretty good defending the. I know he had five fouls um, in the preseason game, but I thought he looked pretty spry defending on the perimeter. I thought he thought he looked all right. Yeah, uh, he's he's one of the few players who I'm watching closely because I, I think we sort of know that. Of the young guys, Norm Powell and DeLon Roll and DeLon Wright are going to have significant roles, and yeah, we, we can sort of picture what, what, yeah, what those roles will be. But like, who out of the next five or six guys is going to be able to really, really land a spot is sort of the unknown. And I think the Raptors would like it to sort of like if everything went perfectly, it would be Bruno and Pirtle. Uh, and maybe, you know, Siakam, that would be like ideal, but I'm not sure that, I mean, I doubt that's the way it's going to play out. And I think it'll be changing, uh, fairly constantly given the, you know, the inconsistency you can expect from young players. But Siakam is one of the better, you know, defenders on this team if, uh, he can put it all together. And, uh, I, I think, they like what they've seen from him so far. He's shooting the three a little bit, which makes him a bit of a threat. We'll see how long he can, uh, or how often he can hit it. But, uh, you know, they have a need at the quote unquote four. So, uh, you know, sort of given how much he played last year at that position, he, I wouldn't say it's his role to lose, but he, he has earned a bit more of Dwayne Casey's trust than, you know, your Bruno Caboclo's, or your guys who are fighting for one of the last roster spots, whether it's McKinney or KJ McDaniels, etc. We are going to talk about Bruno Caboclo. Uh, but first, you mentioned Jakob Pertle. Lucas Noguera uh, came on, and, you know, look, if, you, if you're a listener to this podcast, you know of the agenda that Eric and I, um, you know, put out there. It, the Bebe agenda is very strong. Yes. Uh, Lucas Noguera got the first look as the backup center. I'm I'm of the mind, and, and I think the Raptors would probably agree if you press them on it. It makes a lot more sense to try to evaluate guys twenty in twenty minute chunks rather than more five ten minute chunks. Um, so Noguera playing twenty one minutes, the Pirtle playing seven probably doesn't mean much other than that they gave they wanted to give Noguera the first look. I'd expect uh, Tuesday night Pirtle to get the the bulk of the minutes in that spot. Um, what makes you think that the team would? Per, I think you used the word prefer that to be Pirtle if he could take off in that role? Um, or what makes you think Pirtle might have the edge on Lucas Noguera? Well, there was how last year ended. I, I think that's the big thing. But I'm also sort of looking at it from an economic standpoint. If the if the guy who comes through is a few years away from restricted free agency or an extension versus, you know, the guy who will need one after the season, that would be easier for them to deal with. Um, I, it's not more complicated than that. I don't think, you know, the team is anti-Bebe or anything like that. And how could you be, really? Could be, yeah. uh, uh, but I, I think, you know, they they used a high draft pick on on him. They, you know, he's he sees and feels the game really well. Uh, he doesn't have the injury history that Lucas Neguera has. So I, I think, you know, for those reasons... In an ideal world, they'd like it to be him. 
Yeah, and that would make that's, sense. That's, that's not from anybody whispering anything in no. my ears. It's just like me reading the, you know, the tea leaves and and reading, you know, we we both know how close they are to the luxury tax. We both know that the numbers aren't going up tremendously in the future. So the the less they have to pay their own guys, the better, you know. Yeah, and, and look, the Raptors are good enough that most decisions will be a meritocracy. But yeah, when you get into tight battles like this or trying to figure out who should have first crack, uh, you know, inertia is one powerful force. And then, as you mentioned, with Pirtle, they invested more highly in him and have two more years of control. Um, I'm still of the mind Nogueira has kind of a, a higher ceiling of what he can bring. But I think anyone who's watched him over three years also knows that the floor is probably a, a little lower. And in that backup center role, where that role, when the season starts, when you factor in a Baca minutes at the five, it might only be 12 minutes and they might need that guy to play, you know, within a tight role. Um, you know, maybe the the steadier or more certain play of Pirtle um, is preferable to them as well. And Pirtle looked good in his seven minutes for as good as anyone can look in seven minutes against opposing third stringers. Yeah, like I think a healthy, motivated, properly utilized Nagara right now is a more impactful player than yes. Pirtle. Uh, but that role doesn't necessarily exist on this team. So they has I mean, got that good, James Johnson potential written all over him. Yeah. It's a good problem to have. Like they have lots of, I mean, it's, it would be a better problem to have 15 years ago than it is now, but it's still a fine problem to have, to have all these young bigs with, with, you know, promise, but you can only play so many, and we know Serge Ibaka is going to play the five down the stretch of a lot of games, so that only is you know, he, Did you see that. Jonas Valanciunas in the preseason opener? Okay, that's that's fair, completely fair. This is playmaking Jonas Valanciunas. <laughs> How can you take that passing yeah. off the floor? He Okay, I, I'm, I'm saying that in jest, but he actually did. He was probably the guy I came away most impressed with from the preseason opener. Yeah, I mean, and historically, he's been a pretty awful passer. So if he can go from, you know, awful and one-dimensional to, like, average for his position, which, you know, isn't asking that much because in this league, like, low-post centers, you know, with some exceptions, aren't necessarily the most intuitive passers, uh, that will go a long way for the Raptors and how they want to build their offense because... You know, they have, like, Serge Ibaka probably is who he is as as a ball mover at this point, which is to say reticent. So <laughs> it's hard to make that type of offense work if you have two guys who are, uh, I don't want to say black holes, but, you know, un, un, not unmotivated. Yeah, sticky. Like, oh, not sticky. Comp aren't able to make complicated or complex or even simple passes quickly okay there's one more guy we got to talk about we mentioned him a couple times uh, i mean there are a lot of good we could go down the roster and kind of preview everyone but we got a couple weeks before the season so we'll spread that content out um, at some point we'll want to see uh, we'll want to have an og and an ob talk at some point later on we'll probably break down the final camp battle but a guy you wrote about uh went up, went up what late last night or early this morning Bruno we're talking about? Yes. Okay. Uh, I, wrote, I wrote about him on... My days are blending together. Saturday. Friday or Saturday. Okay. I think it went up on Saturday. I wrote a bit on Friday. Okay. Um, As so, if anybody cares when I actually wrote it. Yes. Uh, I was just 
giving myself the pedantic treatment, trying to lock down exactly what it was. Uh, Bruno Caboclo in the inner squad scrimmage plays a game high 30 minutes, seven points, two rebounds, and an assist. Uh, got dunked on a little bit. In the team's preseason opener, he plays 20 minutes, shoots two of eight, a um, couple of rebounds, but a lot of turnovers. Got dunked on a couple times again, had an offensive goaltending. Uh, Eric, the pulse, they give us the Bruno Caboclo pulse heading into his fourth season and his last season uh, before restricted free agency. Um, the pulse is hopeful. I wouldn't say optimistic. I think that would be going too far. Uh, we saw on Monday, on Sunday night that his feel just isn't there in certain situations. The reading when there's a defensive breakdown from other players isn't great. The, the turn, you know, the ball handling, which he won't be asked a lot to do a lot if he does earn a role is, you know, suboptimal. Um, but he has the size and the shooting. That's the one thing that Jerry Stack has said to me. Like when, if you think there's going to be a role for only one of Siakam, Bruno, and, and OG, which, you know, you could argue, I think they'll all play at certain times this year, but that will be in some or some hierarchy will develop over the years. I mean, Bruno has got the shooting over them. Um, what he doesn't have, and I continue to see on Sunday night and a bit during the scrimmage, is that feel uh, on both ends of the floor. And the Raptors know they need to see something from him this year. That's the thing. Like they've got to make a decision uh, about whether to, you know, even offer him the qualifying offer, uh, not to say anything about a long-term extension, whatever that might look like. So. Uh, He's going to play. He's not going to be the ghost that you saw in the first three years of his career. Um, but uh, I don't know that the team is expecting him to fill that, you know, ninth or tenth man role perfectly and consistently. Let me put you on the spot. Bruno Caboclo's people come to you, uh, VP of Hindsight, being, covering covering someone's sick day in the Raptors front office, uh, and they say we will sign an extension right now, three years, six million dollars total, but it's all guaranteed. Would you sign it? Yes. You'd extend the experiment three more years at something close to a minimum salary just to continue to see what's there. Absolutely. I, I think how I'm with you. you. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I'm with you. I just I'm not sure how popular unpopular that opinion is. I've watched a ton of Bruno Caboclo. Um, More I, than any non-team employee, one can argue. I, I, I mean, I've seen every 905 game, so I would think so. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I honestly feel like his defense is better than he showed in the two games. Um, whether some of that was, you know, bright lights or just off nights, he's still extremely young. He just turned 22. He's very inexperienced. Um, he is better defensively than he got to show in that one. Um, down the stretch for the 905, he was a, a significant plus on that end of the floor. You mentioned yeah. the shooting. Um, I, yeah, I don't know if he's going to get there, but like, I don't think a ton more other than continuing to get reps and having the game slow down for him a little bit. I don't think there's like a ton that has to break for him to be a useful, you know, depth piece, which is a low bar and maybe damning with faint praise considering he was the number 20 pick, but. Also, you know, you kind of have to put that aside and ignore the sunk cost and evaluate him for what he is. And 
I can still see it. He's still very young. Yeah. Um, and in the scrimmage, I wrote about this moment a few times, both in my Caboclo story and in the 10 observations, like DeMar DeRozan, like had him in an ISO situation and it was at yeah. the end of a shot clock. Uh, and he just couldn't shake him. Like, and that's what Caboclo has. I mean, we all know it. Like he can stand like a foot or two further away from a, from a player than other players can just because of his absurd length. And he can make dribbling difficult. Uh, and on that play, he caused a 24-second shot clock. DeRozan couldn't free himself, couldn't get the handle to where he wanted it to be. And that's, you know, a huge thing in this league now is his wingspan and versatil- defensive versatility. Uh, here's here's so what they in, need to do with in, Bruno on defense. Whoever has the ball, he just goes to that person. Yeah. Because the off-ball <laughs> stuff is uh, is less there, but... The Bruno switch defense. It's not yeah. a switching defense. It's just a Bruno switches on the ball defense. Yeah. Um, there was a, against the Clippers, there was like a stretch of, he it was over a couple minutes, but there were three plays that stood out where like he botched help on Blake Griffin and I think picked up a defensive three. Um, and then he like would have like really blocked the shot, but someone else fouled on the drive. And then he fell asleep and let Gallo get a dunk off a of baseline inbounds. It was just like, the full Bruno on defense of like, look at these things he might be able to do that he's not doing yet. Um, yeah. It's going to be, and this is what the preseason is going to take reps. Yeah. 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 It's going to take reps. And I think like by necessity, Dwayne Casey is going to have to experiment uh, in that, whatever we want to call that role. I don't know what we want to call it. The, you know, the forward, the, the, whether it's the fourth swing man or the, you know, the kind of power forward or the forward hybrid, like whatever that is, the Raptors don't have a natural one other right. than CJ Miles. So, and they're going to need one because that's the way this league is kind of going. So, uh, I think he will get his shot. Yeah, and the, the rotation, you know, yeah. if everything goes well every game, the rotation would be something like nine men. You know, they like to, this is oversimplifying, uh, and it's not, you know, you'd want to get Lowry and DeRozan's minutes down. But generally, they play the five starters, and then it's something similar, a, a very similar four-man group playing with DeRozan when Lowry sits and with Lowry when DeRozan sits um, and staggering throughout. But there are going to be opportunities for a 10th and even an 11th man. And I think that's, you know, I kind of think Siakam is Siakam is kind of with Powell and Wright in that he's probably a safe bet to get bench minutes out of the gate, um, at least until OG's healthy enough to push him. But the real battle then is, you know, Pirtle and Nogueira for who's the center in that group. And then, you know, Bruno against the field for that if we need a 10th man. Um, I don't think they'll play without Lowry or DeRozan particularly often. They haven't much the last two years. And I think if you did do that, they'd probably go with a Van Vliet right backcourt uh, yeah. and just downsize a little bit. Um, but yeah, there are, there are going to be opportunities. And, you know, McKinney and McDaniels are still fairly unproven as well. And Malcolm Miller's on a two-way but still hurt. And OG, you know, is still working his way back. So Bruno, like you say, he might get a shot and it might come early in the year. And it'll be uh, the next four preseason games will be instructive anyway. It'll be fun. I mean, we've been waiting a long time for something remotely real at this level with him so uh the payoff whatever it is is coming yeah yeah that's a that sounded like a threat i'm gonna be honest 
that uh, Santa Monica. Well, uh, yeah, well, I'm just a malicious, uh, malevolent sounding human, I guess. I don't know. I didn't intend it as a threat. I, the size of these I, words. I, uh, I'm not, I mean, I, I'm sort of, I'm still very skeptical that he'll be able to carve out a consistent role for himself with this team. Uh, but I think he's going to get an opportunity and I think he should get an opportunity. Sure. Um, all right. Anyone else that you wanted to note from the scrimmage or from the preseason opener that stood out to you good or bad or interesting or what have you? Uh, I'm just, I'm just intrigued how they're going to use DeLon Wright. Uh, I, like he is going to play, but is it going to be that backup point guard, pure backup point guard? Are they going to like, play him in lineups with Lowry or like Lowry and Van Vliet even, um, which we saw a bit of last year, I want to say, because they they think he can guard, you know, basically any perimeter player given his length, Uh, not any perimeter player, like not the thicker, you know, scoring wings, but, but, you know, certainly standstill shooters and jittery point guards. He he has the capability of guarding. Yeah, like uh, we he guard CJ Miles, a, a he, player type like that. And he guarded Nikola Batum last year in that one comeback. You'll yeah. you'll remember. Oh, that game um, was amazing. That was one of the, the more U- entertaining games. The Utah Utah uh, game, yeah. Uh, so I, I think that's sort of something I'm curious about because. He's one of, I, I don't want to say like my favorite players, but he's one of my favorite player types on this roster. Um, and I'm, you know, how creative they get with him is sort of indicative of how creative they can be as a whole. Yeah. I like that you mentioned the multi-guard lineups too, just because like right shot is coming along and it looks better and he's, he's a lot smoother pulling it up. But if there's a concern about him, it's the shooting. And if you can play him with another guard like Lowry or Van Vliet or even both, um, both those guys can shoot the hell out of the ball. And we saw, we've seen the last couple of years how Lowry will work off the ball when another point guard who's not as good a shooter is out there. Um, and Lowry's kind of more spot up threat or, you know, secondary playmaker. So I think, you know, I think there's room for Wright in that role, you know, offensive point guard and defensive wing in the same lineups, uh, if that's how everything shakes down. So, yeah, yeah DeLon Wright, so, uh, always I- super interesting. Yeah. Um, so that's my main thing. And I'm just the continued, uh, recovery of OG and Anobi. Yes. Uh, it was a surprise to see him play in the scrimmage, even though, you know, he had been saying that he'd been playing five on five and, uh, and going through physical contact. Uh, he sort of, given the Raptors history, you would have thought that maybe they'd play it more cautiously and he didn't play against the Clippers on Sunday. So they still aren't like pushing him forward, but you know, everybody likes rookies. Rookies are fun. And yeah. if, uh, even if they're not he can get very in, good, no, they are usually bad. Uh, but he probably has the, you know, Bruno aside, he probably has the highest defensive upside on this team, maybe higher than Bruno. Oh, his defensive upside is definitely higher than Bruno's. But. Well, I, I'm just saying like, theoretically looking at their bodies gotcha. not like not like given what they have shown at their various levels um yeah because og yeah yeah he I'm, might be I'm able excited. to guard, I, he could, 
he could guard one through five theoretically. It's, so it's we'll been see. a challenge to temper excitement about a guy who slid to number twenty three in the draft and is still only nineteen. Yeah, um, but to do that, just try to get a a quote out of him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's still kind of fun. It tempers my excitement. Uh, not that again, this is personal complaining and you should not judge a player by how quotable he is but it does make our lives easier when they are and og is a man of few words right now and that's okay yeah that's uh i mean that's kind of how they'd prefer it i think right oh sure uh we didn't we didn't get terrence ross speaking until he was ready to be traded so uh terrence ross who by the way Gonna start for the Orlando Magic. It looks like Terry preseason opener anyway. Yeah, it's very um, exciting. I know I didn't ask you about the Miles Norman Powell starting question, uh, and that's because yeah. I think I'm gonna write about it sometime this week. So okay, I, uh, I don't really want to use all the talking points now. I think and Miles will end up. I think hour, my, is, yeah, I think Miles will end up starting, but I I'll let you get into the reasoning for that, and I also don't think. It's terribly important um, because they're both going to be incredibly important pieces for this team. This is a point that I w- am going to make is that we are so conditioned now over the last couple seasons to be arguing who should not be starting in the starting lineup. It's now interesting to have a debate where there are actually good cases for both guys. And, you know, you're going to be arguing for people instead of, no, get that guy out of there. Uh, that's the way the Raptors would like it to be, at least. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and look, that, that's the way that's the way I see it. Like I think they're both very valuable players. Yeah, they're cool. CJ Miles had a had a nice game. He's also, yep. I mean, you've gotten you've probably gotten to talk to him a couple times over. There. He's a he seems like a good dude. He he's talks a lot. He's very yeah. very chatty, very chatty. He's like the new Patrick Patterson, except smilier. Smilier is good. Smilier. Yeah, also, I, I, maybe a word. I like the. Yeah, I like the the, you know, doesn't look at you, but is very insightful vibe that Patrick Patterson gave off, gave off, but other approaches are nice too. Patrick Patterson, who, dealing with a knee injury still. Yeah. That's, uh... That's, uh, sort of makes his contract make sense. Yeah. Also, he's back to coming off the bench, probably. Yeah, it's where he'll be comfortable. Yes, because he missed that shot one time as a starter. Yeah, uh, it's... And now that they have Melo, they don't have to play him in the clutch where he always misses threes. That's yeah, great. Yeah, exactly. like it's perfect. He's in the perfect role for himself. Exactly. He says, um, yeah. dripping with sarcasm in case that wasn't clear. Yeah. Melo, are you, what about coming off the bench? Who, me? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, love, I love this wig. By the we way, should the, stop talking. The fact that he has worn hoodies now in like official team scrimmages. Is there a rule against wearing a hoodie under your jersey? Well, I think there is in games. In like know, actual guys games. Wear t-shirts? How could you wear a hood? I mean, guys, it, like, it might be one of those things where like no one's ever thought of it. So there's like, yeah. Like, as long as it's not it was, covering your number. It was like that Sean Avery rule to switch sports where he was just like blocking Martin Brodeur by like, doing the hokey pokey in front of the net um like nobody ever thought to uh, yeah yeah nobody thought to outlaw it because nobody had ever thought about it happening 
Uh, so we'll see. I mean, I'm hopefully, here for, we'll I'm here for I'd Carmelo love, trying uh, this and getting a technical foul in the opening game for wearing a sleeveless hoodie under his jersey. <laughs> that would uh, that would be awesome. Honestly, you'd have to think Nike's on board with it. It's oh, more of sure. their gear that's getting out there. Uh, they want to push product. Yeah. Um, all right, Eric. I, I've kept you long enough for a preseason podcast. I should let you get going. Um, anything to uh, anything to plug or a parting shot for the people before we talk to them next week when we'll have had what uh, two more two more preseason games to digest. Um, the only things uh, I had two good chats: one with a player, one with a coach uh, about the offense and how it's changing. And maybe Pat and why past returns haven't worked. Uh, I think they're going to end up being actually. I know they're going to end up being two separate pieces, but they were probably among the best chats I had in Victoria, and I'm looking forward to getting them out there in the world. We will look forward to reading those at the Athletic Toronto, and we'll talk to you next week on the Raptors Reasonless Podcast. Thanks a lot, Eric. Thank you, Blake, and thanks everybody for listening and coming back for season two. If only to be a reasonable man.